I, I was so bogged down in Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, that I wasn't able to see these are humans. Like these are people made in the image of God. When you hear queer people and you automatically jump to, oh, I wonder if this person's having sex. What do they believe on this matter? If you jump to there, no matter what the intent of your heart is, you know, whether, you know, that's just not good. That's bad. I'll say for what it is, that's unhealthy. Because what you've just done is you destroyed the humanity of that person and turned them into a theological exercise to be worked out. You have, you've, you've gone beyond looking at this person as a human to be known for everything they are, a, a, a person who is on level with you to them being an object. The LGBTQ plus community is probably one of the most underserved populations within our church. According to the CDC, LGBTQ plus are two to three times more likely than the general population to attempt suicide, to be homeless, victimized, and to face barriers to healthcare because of isolation and a lack of culturally competent service providers. So what are we doing as a church, as individuals, to see people as people rather than theological dilemmas to solve? Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are talking with Pastor Paul Anthony Turner, who identifies himself as a runner, a PhD student, an African-American, a Christian, and a celibate gay man. Today, we are going to unpack his story along with looking at the relationship of the church with the LGBTQ community, as well as unpack some new terminology like side A, side B, and side X when describing the spectrum of individuals who identify as LGBTQ+, and their relationship to the theology behind marriage. You can follow Pastor Paul at paul.anthony.turner on Instagram. Right now, we're going to be unpacking the first half of our two-hour conversation, so please be patient if you don't get answers to questions on this episode they are probably coming in the next. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at Advent Next. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. So, Paul, introduce yourself a little bit to our audience and give us a little snippet of some of the things that we're going to be talking about in our interview today that they can look forward to in a couple weeks. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Paul Anthony. Um, I'm a pastor, um, I love philosophy. Um, I'm a runner, um, and I am celibate, and I am gay, um, and I'm a Christian. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit, uh, sharing some of my, my views on what it means for me to be a queer person, um, my ideas on what queerness means and um, what queerness brings to the table when it comes, when it comes to the church, when it comes to Christianity. Um, I'll be sharing a little bit about why I'm celibate, what kind of convictions I have that led me there. Um, also be talking um, about my views on on different types of relationships like a marriage and on and on friendship and those are some of the things I hope to be talking with you guys about today so could you give us like just an overview of like what do you feel like the state of the church is right now with the LGBTQ plus community and what is the what is the current climate that we're in and what are some things that we could be doing better Oh yeah, the, the the state of the state of affairs is is deplorable at best. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> the, the people who are, the people who are in charge don't really want don't really or many don't want to do anything to actually address the matter. Just we want to sweep it under the rug. But when we sweep it under the rug, LGBT people end up getting hurt, um, and the church ends up hurting itself because LGBT people bring a certain color um, to the world that straight people cannot bring. And so not only do, does the church by its unwillingness to actually tackle these, these matters hurt LGBT people, it ends up hurting itself. Um, so hopefully by having conversations like this, we'll be able to um, start addressing these matters and realizing that um, there's a lot of complexity here. It's not, these are not simplistic matters that can just be um, brushed off with a, you know, a simple Adam and, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, you know, pray the gay away. It's not, it's not like that at all. 
Um, and until we're willing to actually open up and realize this, the seriousness of this matter and do a better job of thinking more robustly about it, we're not going to be able to minister to LGBT people as Christ would have us. Yeah, no. I, and I really appreciate this because I feel like we don't have a kind of broader uh, narrative even for just even for single people in the church, right? Like, or like, like we're ultimately uh, pushing that marriage is the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's view for our lives. And so just get, you know, get married and have children, but like to really incorporate a broader narrative um, and to deal with the fact that, you know, I don't know, we're, we're just holistic people. Um, yes. I can't wait. Yeah. Oh, you really, yeah. If I touch, <laughs> touch on the singleness thing, I got, yes. I'm just like, oh yes, we're going to go. I'm going to go in on that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. In general, I think that the, the fact that we don't know how to do, I think in general, we have failed to understand what sexuality is about. And or we're not able to talk about heterosexuality and homosexuality robustly enough. We're not able to deal with marriage and singleness um, in, a, in, a, in a very scripturally robust kind of way. Um, and so for me, really, until we start talking about what this thing is, that's, you know, what this thing called sexuality, until we start really addressing that for what it is, what it means for us to be sexual beings, I don't think we're really going to be able to come to any, any helpful, um, productive solutions. So I think that's, that's also going to be a big part of what we talk about. I, I think, and this is just, you know, just to put it out there, there's a lot of uh, kind of success stories that we highlight in the church because they say, oh, this person got married to a, in a heterosexual relationship and now everything is better. And we tend to really um, say like, this is, you know, this is the, I don't know, maybe these people had more faith or like, these people, like, I don't know how we frame that, but do you feel like that's a healthy narrative to say, you know, we, we sympathize with, uh, with our LGBT plus community, but like the ultimate success story is for them to finally get married to a heterosexual person. Is this a, 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 an appropriate narrative for us to adopt? Yeah, maybe, maybe here's a little, maybe I'll say provocative to give people. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think people um, conflate becoming heterosexual with sanctification i i think that heterosexuality is innately broken mm. i think that to the, to the, and that's pathologized heterosexuality but we pathologize homosexuality without actually looking into this thing called heterosexuality what are all the various things that that are that are contained in this thing called heterosexuality and what would happen if we actually parsed or out those things what would happen if we started looking at this thing called heterosexuality for everything that it is would we really be in will we will we then be inclined to tell people to become straight um that might sound kind of like what are you talking about paul so let's just get into it uh we're gonna do now this part of our podcast and um i just want you to introduce yourself tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now in this season of your life cool yeah um so my name is paul anthony um I was raised Adventist all my life. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. I'm a, I'm a runner. Um, I'm studying philosophy um, at the PhD level at the University of Kentucky. I just started that this year. Um, and I don't really know as far as career what I what I end up what I'm gonna want to do. I'm a pastor by training. Um, so maybe I'll go back into pastoring or uh, maybe I will try to be a professor. I don't know. Um, but additionally, I am gay and I'm celibate. And so my life is very exciting in <laughs> regarding that. And I, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, I'm hoping to be able to spark some deep conversations in the church, um, get us out of our shells talking about uh, a whole range of topics that pertain to sexuality. So that's that's kind of my my hope and kind of putting myself out there is that we'll start to think more robustly about sexuality because um, we're sexual beings and the extent to which we're willing to talk about these things more openly. Uh, or openly more, more deeply and profoundly will be the extent to which we are able to live um, profound and open lives. You know, like that. I love this. Okay. Can I just say something? And then I want you to tell us a little bit about your story. You know, I'm walking this single journey and I've just been telling the Lord, like, I want a space where I feel like I can be integrated, right? Like 
because I, I feel like there are some spaces where you can be spiritual, some places where you can be kind of emotionally connected. Uh, and then you have, you know, kind of this traditional sense of what a marriage would look like. And that's a space where you can also explore your sexuality. You, you have all parts of yourself operating holistically. But I wonder, you know, I've often wondered, like, if we were just more open about these things and didn't make it such a I don't know, just a taboo subject, would I feel more free in these circles that I don't necessarily feel free in the moment? I don't know. Thoughts on that? Yeah. I think, I think that because, if, if I understood you correctly, I think that be, because we don't do a really good job, I hope I'm answering your question as you asked it, but I think because we don't really think very deeply about what it means for us to be sexual beings, what does it mean for us to have a sexuality what even is sexuality? Because we don't think very deeply about those things, we aren't able to be ourselves. Um, as I've come to understand what sexuality is, understand what sexuality is about, um, I've come to understand that sexuality has to do with a, a, a wide range of different attractions and ways of expressing ourselves, ways of feeling, ways of connecting with the world. Basically our sexuality is about how do we connect with our world? How do we share ourselves? How do we receive other people, um, other, you know, other beings, or however you want to say that. And I think because we don't study sexuality very deeply, we end up not being ourselves and we're not able to connect with each other in a, in a very deep kind of way at all, unfortunately. Mm. And yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's definitely answering the question. So before you tell us your story, can I ask a question of, you know, some people might be wondering, why do you identify as gay? And why is that a part of the identity title? Um, shouldn't we just say that we're Christians? And I've heard this before, so please don't take offense. This is not me speaking. But some people say like, oh, like, I don't identify myself as a sinner, or I don't, I don't say I'm an alcoholic, or like, I don't know, whatever the example is. So they automatically equate that to make that identification is, is somehow sin. So please forgive me for putting this so bluntly. I'm just saying some people might have these questions. And what is your response to something like that? Yeah, very, very. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Excellent, excellent question. Okay. The thing is, when it comes to, we are the sum total of all the identities that inhere in us, all the different, all the uh, different different ide identities that, without which we would not be who we are. So I'm a, I'm I'm gay. I'm black. I'm a runner. I'm a I'm a man. Um, I'm I'm tall. I um, I'm from I'm from the south. I'm, all these different things are part of my identity. They are inescapable things. They, they they're simply what they are. When we say to gay people, no matter where you stand theologically on, you know, on various points pertaining to homosexuality, but when we say to gay people that you shouldn't identify as X, Y, and Z, or say that such and such is part of your identity, because in my view, or in their view, to identify with such a sin is... It fails, it seems to me to indicate that they have, they have failed to recognize just how identity works. Um, there are going to be positive types of identities. There are going to be negative types of identities. I don't think that being, I don't think that the queer identity being, or being gay, that identity is a, is a bad identity. Um, but even for those things that are bad identities, those things are still part of who we are. Um, and, you know, Yes, you can choose to not act on certain things. You can choose to not, you know, you know. But like, for instance, one of our identities is as sinners. We are sinners. That is one of our identities. Yeah. Um, we don't not say we don't say I'm not a I'm not a sinner. It's not one of my identities. In order to make this point that we're spiritual or whatever, we recognize that that thing is a part. That thing is just simply one of our many identities. Now, I don't want to conflate being homosexual or or queer in any way with being sinful. I think that actually, and maybe we'll talk about this as we as we go through um, our talk, is that actually homosexuality is is very queerness in general is 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 very broad. It's we tend to think of sexuality as very much about about marriage and about sex, 
Therefore, homosexuality and heterosexuality have to be primarily or solely about sex and marriage. Therefore, if you want to have the wrong kind of sex, then you have the wrong kind of sexuality. And so for those of us who come from more of a more conservative background, where we you know, don't believe that, we believe that God made marriage to be between one woman and one man, when we, right, when we, when we hear that someone wants to have sex or get married in a way that, that challenges that or um, contradicts that, those beliefs, we come to believe that your sexuality is broken, is utterly broken and, and, and ruined and so you ought not to identify with that. But I actually wanna suggest that we look more deeply at what it means to be homosexual and heterosexual because you'll find out, in my opinion, there are good and bad things in both camps. And I think really we need to look at this thing called heterosexuality because heter the, these, these arbitrary distinctions in heterosexuality and homosexuality were actually created by heterosexuals. Um, it, the, such distinctions are very recent, in fact. No one throughout history, up until like maybe the 1800s, thereabouts, no one thought of themselves as being gay or straight or even having a sexuality. It's a new idea. Mm. And so we need to be very careful of categorizing people and then saying, well, you fit in this category. And because this category is bad and broken, you, your entire sexual experience is bad or broken. Mm. And actually we need to further, we really need to look at heterosexuality and realize there are a lot of toxic things there that set up this kind of, um, this unhealthy hegemony um, that needs to be deconstructed and really analyzed. I don't believe that, I, I celebrate the fact that I'm gay because I've realized, you know, even though I am not, um, I am personally not sexually active, there are things that are part of my homosexuality that are not part of the heterosexual experience because of the way because of the ways that heterosexuals have been socialized to conceive of themselves. Mm. But queer people in general, there are a, a, a wide range of feelings and attractivenesses and ways of relating with the world that I believe are necessary necessary um, course correctives for um, toxic heteronormativity. So far from actually believing that homosexuality is a, as a thing, it, it's sin or conflating or, you know, equating it or um, making it similar to being, you know, being a drunk or, um, or any other kind of sin. Rather than that, I look at it as, okay, there might be some aspects of it that might be broken, but what about all these other, what about the, the entire spectrum of things that is part of what it means to be queer? We need to tease those things out. And then we also need to look at heterosexuality and really look at what, what is that? What, is, what does it mean to be heterosexual? What are the different things that are part of that? Once we do that, I think it will really take away people's um, ability to go around saying, oh, you should become straight. Because when you say you're, someone should become straight, what are you actually telling them that they need to strive toward? Is this thing called straight, um, is it as biblical or as godly as we might suspect it is? Okay. I think it is. And that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot. That's great. No, we're going to break this down. This is good. But before we do, I just want you to like tell a little bit of your story um, just so people get just a more robust idea of who you are. And then we'll, we'll kind of unpack a few more things. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll give the uh, five minute or less version. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, looking at the timer. Um, so you're not pressed for time. All oh, things. Um, <laughs> grew up always, you know, knowing I was a little bit different. Um, you know, that's that's a common thing for 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 queer people. Um, by the way, for people who might be wondering why I'm saying queer, um, queer is uh, I'm using it as kind of an umbrella term um, yeah. for LGBTQIA plus. I don't want to have to say that every single time. Yeah. So queer is kind of like an umbrella term. It's not. For some people, depending on how old you are, for some um, LGBT plus people, it has it still has a very strong negative um, connotation. So I say it very respectfully. But for people in my generation and younger, um, it tends to be something that has been reclaimed and is used as an umbrella term. So that's why I'm saying it. Um, but anyways, um, growing up, I always knew that I was a little bit different. I felt very, I felt different, or what I, you know, I, I felt what, yeah, I perceived that what I was feeling was different from how other boys 
were um, behaved or felt or how at least how they were socialized that they should feel and behave and such but you know growing up you're you know when you're five six you just you don't care about anything but going outside and playing kickball or riding your bicycle or playing in the mud with your friends it wasn't until elementary school where I started you know getting where I really started getting called fag or sissy or or gay Um, I was a very expressive kid expressive with reference to the culture I was raised in you know being raised in the black culture black culture unfortunately is wrestles <laughs> very flails around and it's and it's wrestling with um with 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 queer people with the lgbt plus community um and you could see I could looking back I can see how that was the case even growing up how were we as kids already, how was this homophobia already so indelibly imprinted in our thinking? And we were only six, seven, eight, nine, it, but it was already there. There was a certain sense in which you're not supposed to show affection to your guy friends. You're not supposed to be musical. You're not supposed to be poetic or um, show feelings. Um, and so I, I always felt very different as a kid and I was teased for it. But then again, again, I would throw the same, I would throw the same, the same, the same jokes back, you know, maybe as a coping mechanism. Going into middle school, you know, you start having a little, you know, the, the, the hormones start coming, you know, you're starting to go through some, some changes and et cetera. Um, and that's where I started to um, have some of my first kind of crushes or at least started to like feel get hot, you know, when you would see someone attractive. Um, but, you know, I generally just kept it on the, kept it on the DL. Um, and it wasn't until high school, you know, where you're just fully, you know, you're fully in the heat of it all. You're like, woo, <laughs> these hormones, yo, <laughs> you're, you're fully feeling everything. And that's where, and I just thank God. I really do. I really do. I thank God. I went to a small Adventist school. I've always gone to Adventist schools all my life. This is the first time I've ever gone to a non-Adventist school, non-Christian school um, right now. And so, you know, the, the pickings were slim and guys are idiots. So it was really <laughs> easy to kind of hide those feelings. You know, there were a couple of guys I was kind of attracted to and, you know, and I also wrestled with pornography and masturbation. Um, so around 2010 or, or therefore, and then God released me from that. Um, but generally I kept it under wraps, you know, just went around acting like a straight guy, um, just really kept my, my, um, effeminate, effeminism, my, my expressiveness, my desire for male bonding. I kept those things under wraps. I just didn't, I didn't deal with them. Um, but, you know, again, because I had those, those sexual addictions I was struggling with, it, those actually exacerbated it kind of like it kept it, even though I wanted to keep it under wraps, it kind of brought it to the forefront. Like, well, when you do these things, it's always you're thinking about guys. I hope it's not triggering for anyone when I say that, but just being real. Um, and so I tried to keep it under wraps. These sexual addictions kept bringing it up. And I was kind of like, ah, okay. So I'm... Um, so I go into going to call. I had not really known any LGBT people um, up until this point. There was one person, two I can think of that I knew during my time in high school, and the ways I saw them treated were not so great. The ways I thought about them were not great. Um, looking back, they were not great, um, and only God can forgive me for that. I, I gotta forgive me for that, and you know. Um, yeah, had, I had a lot of unprocessed, what I would say, quite frankly, was bigotry, prejudice in my heart mm-hmm. um, toward, toward queer people and therefore to myself. Um, moving into college is where that, that bigotry and prejudice really came to kind of a head. I started to realize I, have, I am the product of my cultures, whether as a um, as, a, as a, a Christian in a, in a mainline conservative denomination, as a Southerner, as a Black person, um, I started to realize, oh, wow, I have a lot of bigotry in my heart. Of course, at the time, I was kind of like, no, this is just godliness. I'm standing for, I'm standing. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for bringing, thank you, God. Um, God is patient with us. Thank God he's patient with us. Um, I realized that I was, I had a lot of bigotry in my heart toward queer people and God brought, I'd say those, my attention to those, brought attention to those things by getting me exposed to my, or me in, um, familiarizing, how do I, what is the word I'm trying to say? I met queer people. That's what I'm saying. And I started to realize more and more like they're humans. I'm human. We're not this picture that has been painted of us, this hypersexualized. But at the same time, as I was realizing those things, I still wanted to hold on to this thought. I mean, you know, my theology says that these certain things are bad. And so like, when you call yourself gay, you're, you're associating with this. And so you have to be, you know, so I'm struggling with all these things, honestly trying to wrestle. And I feel like a lot of people wrestle with those things. I mean, I don't, there's a lot of people who, who have, who are coming from a bigoted place where they just, they, they hate people or don't like people. They don't, they, and you know, but then there's a lot of people who just hold, they hold prejudice. It's maybe, maybe not to the extent of bigotry, but they hold, um, they hold prejudices because they are, they're unfamiliar. Um, but I, what I would say what I had was a lot of bigotry in my heart because of the way I would judge queer people as being this way or that way. Um, but it wasn't uh, in 2015, I was at the, this campus ministries convention, um, um, at Rosario beach in, um, in Washington state. And there were these, um, cause I was on campus ministries at Southern Adventist university, also known as the best university ever. Just saying what I said. And I was there at this campus ministries, this campus ministries retreat, and they had some breakout sessions. One was on L, on LGBT matters in the church. I went to that one because I was, I was just curious what was going to be said. There was a pastor there when it, oh, maybe I shouldn't say. Anyways, there's a, there's a, there's a pastor who was present who had preached a, a controversial sermon on homosexuality sometime prior to that ministry, to that, that retreat. And at the time when I heard him preach that sermon, it really hit me. And I was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, he's just compromising and blah, blah, blah. you know, he's just, you know, trying to muddy the waters and so forth. And I was so angry at the sermon that he did. So can I ask you a question really quick? One, yes. so, so at this time you were internally experiencing the life of uh, someone who was gay, but externally you were one judging yourself and then judging other people and judging a theology that might have a, had a more graceful uh, point of view. Is that correct? Bang, bing, bingo. Like, wow. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's what's going on. Yes. And um, so there's a few things he, he said. Um, and looking back, if I were to listen to the sermon now, I probably would like, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. But I don't, I haven't watched it again, but the point is like the way I was not even open to listening because I was so deep down in my prejudice um, against queer people, against myself, that I wasn't able to listen and learn. If you, and this for, especially for straight people, if you come to a conversation with, with um, LGBT people, and you already have not only pre, if you not, it's not nothing wrong with having your presuppositions, but what's wrong is not, is that you don't check them and take stock and inventory of them. And that you don't kind of try to suspend those things so that you can see if there's something you need to learn, something that you need to let go of, something that you need to modify. If you come to a conversation, you're unwilling to learn, set aside those presuppositions for just a second, just so we can talk, you're not gonna be able to learn and you're gonna adopt kind of a paternalistic, um, kind of elitist kind of way of speaking to um, to to, um, to queer people. Mm. So come to a conversation about this kind of matter with a lot of humility, recognizing that you as a straight person don't know the half of it. You don't. Right. Um, knowing Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Romans 1, and wherever the other ones are, that is not being, that's not knowing about this matter. And I'll tell you this straight up, that's not, um, that's, 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 that's not helpful in this situation. I'll, I'll just tell you as a pastor, and as a person who holds a traditional biblical sex ethic, knowing those scriptures is not the same thing as knowing about the situation in a robust kind of way. Right. Um, 
So at this Campus Ministries Convention, I'm in this breakout session. This pastor who had just preached this controversial sermon recently was there in that session. Blood is already boiling because I know he's going to speak. And so he starts speaking, basically giving this same sermon over again. My, I'm irate. And I'm like, why am I so angry? Like, I know, like, like I'm angry, but like, wow, like, why am I so like hot? And so I storm out. I'm walking around the campus. I'm crying. I'm just like up, up really upset. And I go and find my head chaplain. I, I take him to the I take him to the beach. We're staying on the beach. I say, Pastor, I need to talk with you about what this, what this, what this guy, what this pastor just said. And so I tell him what he just I told a chaplain what he's what, what this what this guy said. And he's like, Oh, really? He said that? Okay, okay. And from from the way my chaplain was kind of responding, I could kind of tell he was kind of like. It seemed as if it was like, why do you care so much? Like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's concerning, you know, theologically, but like, why is this so existentially like angsty for you? Like, what is going on? And without, I wish you could have seen the moment. It was such a cool moment. We were standing on the beach, you know, it was really cool. And then without any volition of my own outcomes, and the reason I care is because I'm gay. Wow. Never in my life. Had I ever said that? I was 21 at the time. Wow. That was the first time I ever shared something as difficult to keep a secret, like as difficult to keep secret as that. Yeah. Um, we need to become safe places for LGBT people to come out. If your theology makes you such, shapes your life such that you are, that LGBT people don't feel as if you are safe to come out, something is wrong with your theology. Right. People should not feel, queer people should not feel as though the only way that I can share my story with you is if my theology conforms with yours on these particular regards. People should be able to share, I'm going through this without feeling, oh, but, you know, the only way I can share this with them is if I'm willing to endure this theological diatribe about how homosexuality is a sin and you need to become straight, pray the gay away, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You need to become, a part, we need to be people who are there for people. The reality of the matter is there's probably never, ever going to be a time in the, in the, in the church, in, in Christianity, where we're all, where there's consensus on this matter. There probably is never going to be that. So what can we do knowing that fact or assuming that fact? What are things that we can do to be there for LGBT people who may or may not agree with your theology, but need to know Christ need to know that the people who say they love them will actually be there for them. How, you know, we need to know that no matter if I share with you that I'm gay, bi, trans, ace, what have you, you're going to be there and that you're not going to use your theology as a way of putting a wall between us or qualifying the extent to which you're going to love us or care for us. So what do you think brought you to that moment? And why do you think that you were so angry when, when, as you look back, like, why do you think that you were so angry when you're hearing this? A part of me, you know, I'm thinking when I look at different parts of myself and different parts of the things that I've suppressed in order to fit this box of what I feel like a Christian should be, like there's a lot of my creativity that I have like left off for many years and I'm starting to get back to because I thought to be Christian means to be this. And sometimes we can be so adamant about like, or not adamant, but like we sacrifice those parts of ourselves to fit the box. We love Jesus. And so Jesus, what it means to follow you, it means to cut off my right arm, then I'll walk around, you know, crippled. How dare this person say I could use both arms? I've already cut these off. Like <laughs> I can't go back. What What was the, re like I look at myself and I think that's probably where the, the anger for me at times has stemmed. Um, seeing the fact that I've done the work and I've, you know, I've done the hard things. Don't, you know, the way is narrow. It's not what, like, what were some things in your mind that you think made you so angry and, and what culminated to that moment where you're finally able to say, okay, I'm, I'm gay. Yeah. I think it was part of it was definitely at that time. I held some very conservative un unnuanced beliefs about what it means to be queer. And so just hearing someone say something that I thought was so unbiblical was just very triggering for me. Um, I had to, you know, part, you know, I had to learn to, you know, 
if we disagree on things, that's okay. I'm still going to heaven. Like my me going to heaven is not based on whether someone else agrees with me or not. So I, I I've had to I had to learn to take a chill pill when people disagree with me theologically on things. Um, some people may might think I've taken too much of a chill pill, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, so that's part part of it was just I need to mature in being able to hear. Oh, this person disagrees with me on something that's very important to me. I don't have to lose my head. Um, I took a lot of Christians, especially when it comes to this matter, they're not able to chill out and say, okay, you disagree with me, but you have sound reasons for why you're there. I don't have to doubt your base, the goodness, your, the goodness of your heart or the goodness of your intent um, as we disagree. The second part of it was, def- I think definitely was just like my frustrations with, oh my gosh, like I don't even feel comfortable enough defending my own life. And here's a person right here who's de- basically defending my life and I have a problem with it. And I have a problem with the, with the fact that I have a problem with him defending my life. Even if I don't, might not have agreed with some of the things that he was saying, he still felt like he had the responsibility and right to stick up for people like me and I did not feel the responsibility or the right to speak up for people like me. I think I felt a certain kind of rebuke there. I, I was so bogged down in Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, that I wasn't able to see these are humans. Like these are people made in the image of God. For me, it was just, we're, we're just a theological exercise. It's like the shirt says, bad theology kills. It's, it's that kind of theology. When, we, when, when you hear queer people and you automatically jump to, oh, I wonder if this person's having sex. What do they believe on this matter? If you jump to there, no matter what the intent of your heart is, you know, whether, you know, that's just not good. That's bad. I'll say for what it is. That's unhealthy. Because what you've just done is you've destroyed the humanity of that person and turned them into a theological exercise to be worked out. You have, you've, you've gone beyond looking at this person as a human to be known for everything they are, a, a, a person who is on level with you to them being an object, um, something for you to discuss and to, and to think about and, and, and muse over and so forth and theologize and speculate and so forth. And I, I think I realized in that moment, like, wow, this person is doing for me what I would never do for myself. And I think that really hit me. So to that pastor, if he should ever watch this, thank you for what you did. Wow. Wow. It seems like God has taken you through this journey. And what's so interesting is that you have had to face this, like you have theologically wrestled with this probably all the way to the point that you at the time were 21. uh, And then to the point that you are now, like these are issues that take so much time to theologically mull over and wrestle with and you've put in that time so sometimes when people don't put in that time and they come with that black and white answer like it's it it comes off trite and it comes off cheap because it is right it has it hasn't you haven't spent the time ruminating in the way that that you have you've probably literally been thinking about this forever right (laughs) so yeah it's and and I, i like to i try to give people grace even even if i do come down hard it's very difficult to balance there. Um, on the one hand, I will say, um, I think people mean well. A lot of people mean well. They're trying to stand up for what they think is godliness. But on the other hand, I think that a lot of this, what passes as concern for godliness is really unprocessed prejudice and sometimes bigotry. Mm-hmm. We, and actually, I was talking to someone the other day on the phone. They were like, you use that word very freely, bigotry. It's like, the thing is, and they're like, maybe you should find a different word. It's like, no, we need to say this for what it is because our unwillingness to accept the ugliness of our theology, of our actions and behaviors and attitudes leads to the deaths of, of people like me. So I'm not going to make you feel good in, we, we, can't, we can't make each other feel good or try to, to diminish the ugliness of what we do in hopes that by diminishing the ugliness, people are going to change. Sometimes you just got to say things for what they are. And hearing that, pers- that pastor be willing to stand up for people like me was called out the bigotry in my own heart. It, it called, out, called it out for what it is. 
And I had to, I was at a crossroads then. It's like, I can either make the decision to change or I will stay where I am and, and, and miss out. Um, so from there, you know, I came out um, first time ever, the, the next, that part of that weekend was also this, um, the one project was being held in Seattle. We went to the, we went to the one project <gasps> and- um, Heresy. Heresy. <laughs> Pretty cool event. Um, I probably would have appreciated a lot better if I, again, had processed more deeply through the fact that I'm not able, it, at that time I was still struggling with being able to, um, to, to hear perspectives that weren't my own or were more nuanced. For me, I was kind of like, no, you need to say it like this. There's a, there's a right way to, anyways, it was a cool event looking back. I came out to my best friend um, there, um, my best friend, Austin, and he's been one of those a very stable rock in the situation. It didn't phase him the fact that I'm gay. We, our friendship has grown deeper because of that. And um, anyways, then I came out to a few other people um, during that, um, around that time. But by and large, I, I kept it to my, I still, kept it to myself and I kind of still had this, this kind of judgmental way of looking at it. I was like, Oh, look at me. I'm celibate and I'm gay. Look at me. You should be like me kind of thing. Uh, um, <laughs> you live and you learn. It wasn't until the next year, 2016, that I went through an existential crisis that lasted about eight months. Um, 2016, uh, May to about December where I was, I, I realized I had fallen in love. I realized I had fallen in love with one of my best friends and um, I was constantly having, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think straight, no. literally or metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that will do that. It'll, yeah. And I, I felt guilty for even having those feelings because I had been trained to think if you even have these feelings, you're committing some kind of sin because to be gay, to feel strong affections toward people of the same sex in any way, platonic or sexual, come on somebody, even the platonic, yeah. those things are demonized, let alone sexual. Um, because of those things, I was, I felt guilty. I felt bad all the time. I could not focus. I, I asked God several times to take my life. Um, I just, I would cry myself to sleep, cry myself awake. I was hard for me to, to function. Um, and I couldn't hear God's voice for the first time in my life. You know, I've always been very close to God. I always have had a very a real sense of his presence and his, his affirmation of me, even in dark times. Um, but this is the first time in my life. I really could not sense God's presence or his affirmation of me. And that was very difficult. And I just asked God to, to, to take my life because like, I, I didn't know what to do. And I, I couldn't come out and share with anyone that I felt like I was struggling because, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm a theology student. You're not supposed to have struggles. Um, you're not supposed to, to want something that you're not, that you want, um, want something that you're not supposed to want anyways. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't share. And I did share with a few people. I remember there was one time I shared with one of the spiritual leaders in my life because there was, I was having some issues at work. Um, and I tried to share with him, this is the reason why I'm going through this really difficult time. You know, I don't really have a community to lean on and talk about this kind of stuff with. Right. And, you know, it, it seemed as if from, from, from a few of my, um, my employee employers that um, their concern was more with my, my output than with what was going on in my heart. And that was really painful. I don't think that, all, I don't think that people really, really understand. I know there's a lot of pain. A lot of people struggle with a lot of things in life. But we need to recognize that being a queer person puts you in a kind of, it is so, it is such an other experience than what straight people, the majority of people go through, that it's hard for people to really fathom just how painful it can be. The prospect of maybe being lonely the rest of your life, the prospect of being kicked out of your home, the prospect of being killed, the prospect of potentially committing suicide, being so sad that you're led to the point of suicidality. The suicide, suicidality rates amongst LGBT people are, 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 are higher than their straight counterparts. Um, being kicked out of your house, higher. Being um, um, homeless. Abandoned, homeless. Yeah. Um, being cut off financially. Those things are higher. We live in an emergency state. And I think that some of the responses I got from people when I was going through, they were wondering, Paul, what's going on? Um, they didn't recognize, like, I'm going, I'm, I'm going through something that it's not just like, oh, I'm just going through. And this is like something very like, 
it feels like the world is falling apart in a very big way. I think the church needs to develop a certain kind of, we need to, the church needs to develop a graciousness um, that is unique for the needs of LGBT people because they are very unique. Um, during that time, um, and feel free to interrupt me if you ever have anything that you would ask about, because I'm, I'm almost done. No, I'm listening. I'm enjoying the journey. Yes. Because there's a lot of things I can say, but, um, um, but during that time, God was silently, was silently working things in my favor. Ooh, glory. Um, he was working things out of my favor. And when I, when I did not see how it was, how it was going to come, how, how it was going to come out of that, God was working things in my favor. I'm going to start preaching. Let me, let me, <laughs> God, God was faithful in it. And, and I, I thank God for that. Cause I, I asked God to take my life and he did it. I, I asked God to take the thorn out of my flesh and he didn't. And he, allowed, by keeping that thorn in my flesh, by not making me straight as I begged God to do, I've come to learn so many things about what it means to be a sexual being, what it means to be, how to be a good friend, how to form relationships. I've learned the, the, the blessedness of, of, of singleness, even with its difficulties, and they are real. I've, I've been able to learn so many things about the human experience that I would not have been able to get if I took what appeared to me to be the easy road out, you know, asking to be straight. Um, and so I, I thank God for how he, how faithful he was in all that. I gained a deeper, I, I, I gained empathy with my community. Yeah. Uh, the LGBT community became my community through that situation. They, it was no longer them. Some, I, sometimes when I'm, when I'm speaking, I'm speaking, I, I'll say them, just I'm speaking kind of from a position of a pastor on, on behalf of LGBT people. So if I do that now, that's what I'm doing. But at, once I went through that, that crisis, I, I came away saying, eh, I am them. We are, it's us. And that was really, that was a really beautiful moment to realize that. I was like, oh. Now at that time, I still held some views that were, I, I still viewed homosexuality as innately a still broken thing. Um, but the community itself, I started to say, like, these are my people. Like, I'm here We'll get through this, you know, kind of thing. Right. It wasn't in to, to, to speed through it. Um, it wasn't until um, 2000, it wasn't until I went into seminary, really, 2017 through um, just graduated in this past December, um, 2019, that I, I adopted, I, I adopted a more robust way of thinking about what it means to be queer and, and also what it means to be straight, such that I don't see my queerness as being this broken thing. I just don't. I don't, I don't believe straightness is a good thing. I don't believe it's an utterly bad thing. I just don't think it's the good thing that people have thought it to be. Gotcha. And so now I'm just trying to, what, what my, my big thing is to, one of my big things is to help um, the church recognize there are things, queerness and straightness are not just about sex. Once we have accepted that, mm. Then we can start to look at everything else that undergirds those those phenomena. So could you could you break this down a little bit? So when you can you when you say you don't see uh, queerness as broken and straightness as not uh, the ideal, what are those what what are those terminologies mean? And yeah, for somebody who's listening to this and saying I don't understand, how did he come to this, and what do you mean by that? Yes, maybe first um, to to answer to break, make this th distinction, I should read something yeah. that um, I did and assign. So during the time I was in seminary, I um, I came to these these thoughts about sexuality. Sexuality is not just about sex, and then therefore homosexuality and heterosexuality are not just about sex. And it was very there. Those there are a variety of different aspects to those different phenomena. And once we tease those things out, we'll be able to, we will, I think we will feel empowered to celebrate queer people. And I found this quote when I was, what am I doing? I'm going to Google Docs. Um, I found this quote as I was um, doing this, this class on ministry to youth and young adults. Um, we, we were, I was in a group that, was, that had to cover um, LGBT matters in the church. And I wanted to explain as, as, part, as part of my 
um, contribution to the group project, I really wanted to tackle what sexuality even is, because before we can talk about homosexuality and heterosexuality and pansexuality, bisexuality, all these different types of sexuality, you need to know what sexuality is. And it was really cool to, to read this, to find this, this statement um, because it, it affirmed it, it affirmed where I, the, the position that I, I, I come to because these people are smarter than I am. Um, so this is the American Psychological Handbook of uh, American Psychological Handbook Association Handbook of Sexuality and Psychology. So they're smarter than me. Take their word if you want to take mine. Um, this is what they said about sexuality. The simple, the simple question, what is sexuality, has perennially defied any easy answer. Sexuality is the proverbial nested dimension of human experience. Individuals within relationships, within communities, within cultures. So sexuality is all about, you know, all about relationships and so forth. Sexuality cannot be distilled down to one essential element, but is composed of many. Come on, somebody. Sexuality is not just about sex. It's multifaceted. Um, sexuality can also be understood as fundamentally relational, not even a something at all. It is produced in the interplay within or among individuals, interpersonal interactions, or institutions. Sexuality can be understood as a laundry list of individual and social experiences and attributes, including desires, behaviors, identities, fantasies, preferences, orientations, and identities at the individual level, and incorporating both mind and body, as well as sexual um, mores, laws, standards, communities, institutions, and cultures at the social level. Okay, that was a lot. The takeaways from that is that sexuality, it can't be, bro it can't be distilled down to talking just about one aspect of it, right. um, namely sex. It's like, it would be like taking this book here and saying, oh, the book is one of its pages. Right. No, the book, the, the book is the sum total of all of it, the, the ink, the, the, the binding, the pages, the, the numbers, the lettering. It's the sum total of all those different aspects. Right. And so the same thing with sexuality. So I took that, I take that principle and I apply it to homosexuality and heterosexuality. So if sexuality is, in general is not just about sex, but it's about a, a wide range of um, identities, behaviors, desires, um, um, relationships, relationalities, the same has to apply for homosexuality and heterosexuality. Right. And so that led me to, um, that this, this kind of thinking has led me to conclude, well, if there's a lot more that can be said about homosexuality and heterosexuality, what is there? Mm. So to give you an example, take, take the show Queer Eye. I like to use this as an example. Yeah. It's, if anyone, have, if you haven't seen it, it's five beautiful men um, who have different skill sets and they go, um, they go around, they have a show that's dedicated to going around and helping people to become their best selves. One is a, um, is a I think, cosmetologist. Um, one is a fashion, a fashion expert. The other is a, um, a, a wellness lifestyle guru. The other one's a chef. The other is a, who does the most work, honestly. Um, he's <laughs> a home renovation expert kind of thing. If I, if I, I hope I've classified him correctly. I have actually not watched nearly enough of that show. Yes, my gay card can be revoked because of that, whatever. <laughs> I've not watched the show terribly enough, but I will. Um, but they go around, they do good for each other. And it's so interesting to see how these gay men, who none of whom are sexually inter interacted with each other, they're not, they're not romantically involved with each other, but to see how the ways in which they help people is affected by, it's directly affected by their gayness, their queerness. Right. It's not despite, it's not um, in addition to, it's directly impacted by their gayness. It's called Queer Eye for a reason. Now I think about this and then, you know, what would that show look like if you had a group of straight men doing it? Five straight men. They would probably be a lot broier. <laughs> the men would probably not be as affectionate with one another. There would, there might be less um, expressiveness, less emotion, because heterosexual, especially with men, I can speak especially as a man because I was raised to be a heterosexual man, even though I'm not heterosexual. Um, 
straight people are raised to think in a certain way about how their heterosexuality should play out. Mm. In other words, because you are straight, because you have a strong desire to have sex with someone of the opposite sex, that informs how you should carry yourself. That informs how you should, um, how expressive you should be or how, um, how you should feel toward people of the same sex. And unfortunately you noticed you, there was a shift that happened, that there's a shift that happened in, even in, in, in American culture from let's say the, the 1800s to, to post-World War, post-World War II where um, and before people were a lot more, it was more socially acceptable for people to show physical and emotional um, affection with one another but as people became more obsessed with these distinctions and, oh, okay, you're either gay or you're straight. So if you're straight, you, have, you can't do these things because you don't want to look gay. Um, and certain, certain views, certain Victorian views are put forward about gender roles and about the family such that after World War II, the, you, you notice there was a lot of, there was a lot more social, um, a, lot, a lot more social distinguishing between people and some of those ways that we we act, some of the ways that we act now with each other are the are the direct results of making these strong distinctions in you know in gay and straight. Right. Um, I hope, I hope. That that totally makes sense, and I and I love what you said about it being just a page in the book, and that the your queerness or your straightness you know, it influences how you see the world and how you interact with the world. And so I love that point. And, and I, like, I want to bring up some like important terminology as for our listeners who are not familiar with uh, just the different spectrum uh, of the queer community, right? Because uh, the- theologically, it's very diverse. And uh, you are probably, uh, you know, you have a specific, I would say, Position. position, right? Right. Unique. So can we talk a little bit about some of the terminology and some of the terminology they use is like side A, side B, side X. So what does that mean? And what is that spectrum within that community? Sure. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, excuse me. The, okay. So for people who maintain a progressive biblical sex ethic, and when I say that, that means those, um, the theological position that would allow for, um, amongst maybe other things, would allow for gay marriage. Um, that is what we would, refer, we, would, we would refer to as side A. Um, and then there are people who on the opposite, the opposite side um, maintain a traditional biblical sex ethic that maintains that marriage, was, marriage and sex were ordained to be between one woman and one man. Um, and that is what we would refer to as side B. So those are the general categories. Now, kind of within the side B side or on the, on the side, the end of the spectrum where side B is located on the, more, on the far extreme side, you, ha- you have what's called side X. Side X are those who subscribe to gay conversion therapy or things of that ilk. Um, so these would be people who believe that um, to become straight would be the thing that you, you should strive for because um, it's part of godliness, it's part of the sanctification process. If you pray hard enough, seek God enough, you'll become straight. I'm here to tell you that's just not true. What is that theology for just a side note? You know, I do you feel like that type of theology is damaging? Do you feel like it's helpful? What What is your thoughts on it? Yeah, that theology, I and I, I want to be respectful to the people who believe it, never want to ever, never want to put anything, anyone down. I will say, I believe it is incredibly negative and, and damaging. I don't believe it's scriptural. I think that it makes, it makes, it, it, it conflates something that is biological and psychological and sociological with something with, with sanctification. Mm-hmm. Sanctification is a matter of the character being transformed. What you, how you are attracted to people is not, is not about, it's not, it's not the same, it's not a matter of sanctification. It'd be like if I asked God, 
it's, it, it would be like if I were to ask God, okay, God, if part of my sanctification process, please, I don't know, make my skin darker or something like that. It, it, it would be, to me, it's as ridiculous, it's as ridiculous or not, or a non, as non-starting as, as that. Um, God sanctifies our characters, but who you are, who you're attracted to is who you're attracted to. That's not the problem. Um, you would say, maybe you could maybe say, um, you know, from a traditional stance, again, um, from a conservative stance, side B perspective, you would say, um, okay, yes, we need to ask God to change our character insofar as helping us to not act on certain act, act out certain behaviors. That would be, I think, an acceptable thing to say. But to to treat having an affection towards something as um, of this nature, at least, I think as something, you know, something that needs to be sanctified. I think that 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 conflates two things that are that are very they're not of the same nature. What your bio, your biology, and your, it, it, that's just not your biology and your psychology. That doesn't. I don't think that really has much to do with your spirituality. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I hope that's, I hope that's helpful. And I think I mean currently our church kind of adopts a side B type. Uh, philosophy in in on the books, right? Not to say in on practice, the on the on books, books, right? <laughs> so, which is like, so I, could you describe a little bit? Because one, I think it's fascinating the fact that you know you would identify a side B. Somebody says, "I hold a traditional view of marriage and sexuality, but I myself is gay. I am gay." Um, you know, one. What is the, is the church really there, you know, in your experience, like, you know, people saying, well, it's just about not acting upon those attractions and, but how you identify, we don't care. Like one, yeah. Is the church really in line with that belief? What's been your experience and how can we better our relationship with the LGBT? Anything that you feel comfortable sharing? There's no, you can always say no. I would say the, I would say the church is on the books, like you were saying on the books, it's at least side B, but what something is on the books and what it actually is two very big things. And what our church, what people actually do is more important than what you say you're doing. Right. You can, you can say a whole lot of stuff. What are you actually doing? Um, like for instance, our, the, the policy that the NAD adopt, um, voted in 2015 makes it very clear that the only problem is, you know, if, you know, are you, are you, be, are you, are you in a gay marriage or not? Are you, you know, are you, are you in line with our church's teachings on, on, on marriage? That's the only thing that are, that's the only restraint constraint for, um, for how you can you know, both becoming a member or being able to be a, a leader in the church. That's pretty much the only thing. So we, we have a de facto side B stance, but it's not really side B because we have not our, we have more said, as long as you don't do these things, you can do this stuff. That's more of a negative. Right. It's not really a proactive statement about uh, proactive side B stance. It's more, as long as you don't do these things, what we need to do is say, but here's all the things that we want to say about queer people. Here's what we want to affirm. Here's how we want to be there for you, et cetera. I think that's more side B. So I would actually say that our church is more, side X. another subdivision is side Y. Mm, okay. But, but I'm not going to get into that distinction. Um, we're, we're not really there where we have thought nuanced enough about we we have we're not we haven't really thought nuanced enough about sexuality and therefore about queer sexuality and therefore I don't think that we're in a place where we can really actually say that we're a side B welcoming church right um, and I think there's a lot of things that we can we can we can we can do to get there um, but it takes having these kinds of having conversations like this and our our leadership being willing to stick their necks out on the line. I feel like there's a lot of covering my butt going on because they're afraid. They there's a lot of leaders who want to do these things, but either they're being those their efforts are being stifled, or they're afraid of losing their job or losing standing. And it's understanding it's understandable those things are very fearful, but we we need to be willing to stand up for the for the rights. 
Um, well, and, and, you know, and we treat, we treat side B um, LGBT people badly. You can imagine what side A LGBT people are, are standing, are, have to deal with. And by the way, I advocate for inclusion of both in the church, quite frankly. I think that even within a church that maintains a traditional biblical sex ethic, there are things that we can do to be very welcoming, such that even if we feel a it incumbent upon us to, to stand very strongly for our stance, there are things that we can do to mitigate how painful that could feel to our side A brothers and sisters. And if I could just speak on that for a second. Yeah, please. When it comes to, when it comes to people who have a side A theology, a, 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 that allows for gay marriage, a progressive biblical sex ethic, we need to recognize that side A people have a biblical sex ethic. It is not a, it is not them doing theological gymnastics. Now there are some, but there are some who do it on our side too. Right. They are seeking to be biblical just as much as us. But often when we come into conversations like this or on any topic, we're, we, we come in thinking, well, I have the biblical view. And so when someone says, well, I believe this, well, and we often respond back, well, why, why, why are you not, why don't you believe the biblical thing? Well, you've already come into the conversation with the presupposition that what you believe is the right thing and that whatever they're saying isn't, they're not trying to ground what they believe on the same, on the same grounding that you have based what you believe. In other words, when we claim to be biblical, we need to be very careful that we don't come to believe that we have somehow arrived at the absolute truth on things. Kind of like we were talking about Immanuel Kant earlier and how he wanted us to get out of that Anyways, I'll get into you missed a very like a very sundry pre-talk that we had about Immanuel Kant. <laughs> he, was, he was very concerned with getting us out of these metaphysical hegemonies, these these um, these power structures in which people say we have come to what is the absolute truth on something, and you need to conform to what we believe on the matter. And I think that he he gives a, a very I think he gives a very reasonable critique that we need to be very careful in assuming that we're able to come to the the absolute truth on the matter such that everyone, if they're being honest, will come to our position. Being biblical is more of an attitude. It's more of am I seeking to ground my faith in what I believe on the word of God? Um, I don't believe it's a matter of oh I have everything right now. We're seeking to be right but all the while recognizing I could be wrong because there are limits to what I can know as human, as a human. And the same thing goes for my side A brothers and sisters. I'm, we might disagree on this one aspect, but I'm going to give them the benefit of them having done their homework and they're trying to be grounded on the word of God just as much as I am. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's just a respectful way that we ought to be. Yeah, to not make the assumption that, you know, when you say I have the biblical view it says, you know, you don't really study your Bible. Like I, I'm a more righteous theologian than you, and that's that's not that's not building bridges. <laughs> oh, that's definitely pulling people. There's, a, there's an arrogance. There's an arrogance there. I hope this conversation has sparked your curiosity to find out more information about the lives, struggles, and spiritual perspectives of the LGBTQ plus community, and to start finding ways to create safe spaces for people to know Jesus. Stay tuned for next week as we try to unpack and finesse some pretty difficult topics as best we can with Pastor Paul Anthony Turner. You can follow him on his Instagram at paul.anthony.turner, along with checking out his upcoming YouTube channel, paul-anthony. If you're not already following us on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, be sure to do so at the handle at AdventNext. I enjoyed this time with you all. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please leave them in the comment section below and hope you can tune in again next week. 